Good morning, church. He is risen. We've been waiting for that one. I thought I heard somebody say, thank goodness. I don't know if that was the right response, but yes, thank goodness he is risen. Uh, that, that started a long time ago. We don't know maybe the origins of where it started. It could have been when the two disciples from were walking to Emmaus came back to the, the other disciples and they said he is risen. The disciples replied, he is risen, for he is risen indeed, is what the scriptures say. Uh, it may have started there, it may have started soon after that, but the church since then, that's the response of the church. And we are excited to proclaim that statement as a church body, that he is risen indeed. Not too long ago, Jenny and I were um, out and about in, in another town, and they had these all little small shops, and it was pretty cool. And, and there's one that caught my eye, said coffee, chocolate, ice cream, and a few other things on the awning of this store. And so I'm like, hey, let's stop there and, and get a cup of coffee. And um, we walk in, and oh, it just smells so incredible. Chocolates everywhere, a few bakery items. And they said, well, can we help you? Well, yeah, um, looking for coffee. And like, oh, um, we can make some for you. And I did not see brewery type coffee pot or, you know, coffee makers or any kind of bags of coffee. And she turns around and she goes towards this little 10 cup Mr. Coffee Maker and a cup of Folgers. And I'm going, no, thanks. I'm good. Um, thank you. I looked around at the chocolate and we left. And here's the thing. I, I saw coffee on the awning, on the windows and coffee. So I went in expecting coffee and and they, were, they had no coffee except what I can make at home. And so I was, I was a little disappointed, right? And so it's sort of like this. When you come in Sunday morning on Resurrection Sunday on Easter, you're probably expecting a message about, I don't know, the resurrection, right? It's like you walk into an ice cream parlor, you expect ice cream. You walk into a bookstore, you expect books. You walk into a church on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, you're going to get a message on the resurrection, and here's the thing. I was thinking about this because it was like, in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, let's be creative today. Let's do something different. Maybe I'll look up all the major religions, who's the founders of these major religions, what they are known for in some of these other religions, and when their founder died and where they're buried. And then show you that out of all these major religions and minor religions, the hundreds of them, there's only one founder of any religion that lived, died, and rose again. That's Jesus. He's the only one. And so I thought about that, but then I thought, well, yeah, everybody knows that, don't they? Maybe they don't. I heard about a man and his wife, and I hate to say it, but and his cranky mother-in-law, okay? And uh, they went to the Holy Lands, and they were visiting the Holy Lands on vacation, and unfortunately during this time, the mother-in-law passed away. And the undertaker was talking to the, the husband and said, well, here's what we could do. We could ship your mother-in-law home and she could be buried back in the United States, but it's going to cost $5,000. Or we could bury her right here in the Holy Land for 150 He thought about it, thought about it, and he looked at the undertaker and said, we're going to ship her home and bury her in the United States for $5,000. The undertaker was like... <laughs> You could save so much money burying her here and in the Holy Lands. What better place than to bury somebody you love? He goes, I understand that. But there was a man that was buried here 2,000 years ago, and he came back to life. I'm not taking any chances. 
Not happy. So, so everybody knows about the resurrection, obviously, right? But as I was preparing, thinking about this, I was thinking more. It's like mm, one roadblock came up after another. You know, sometimes if you've ever uh, prepared a lesson or you're working with the Bible study and you sort of feel like this is where you want to go, then you get that little nudge. It's the Holy Spirit saying, no, don't go there. I sort of felt like, no, we're not supposed to talk about any other religions. We're not supposed to talk about any other religious founders. We only need to talk about one today, and that is Jesus Christ. So we come back to that, and we're going to wrap up our sermon series today talking about our Savior who is risen. And we're going to go back to the You Are Loved, and this is it for the You Are Loved series. And, and I want you to know this as we close this up on the You Are Loved. We're closing it with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To, so you and I can know how loved you are by the God of this universe. Jesus came to this earth a little over 2,000 years ago. Declarations were made, proclamations were made, prophecies were told and foretold and came to truth. Jesus, God's Son, who never sinned, perfect and holy, became that perfect sacrifice for us. It was Jesus who showed us the love of God. We've been talking about how God loves you, and it's so good to know you are loved, isn't it? But it's not about you being loved. It's about who it is that loves you, the God of this universe, shown through his son, Jesus Christ. So in your Bibles, if you would open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew, it's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to, I want to begin sort of, understanding what Jesus went through for you and I. So we'll get to the celebrating the resurrection part, but before we get there, you have to understand why it is so important that we celebrate it. Beginning in chapter 27, verse 26, it says this, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him. Verse 29 goes on to say, They wove thorn branches into a crown, put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And they grabbed a stick, struck him in the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off his robe and put on his clothes again. Then they led him away to be crucified. You know, as you read that, it, it sort of hurts to read it, doesn't it? I mean, it's one thing to be hit. It's another thing to be spit upon. And then it's another thing to be, to be called names or to be punched, right? Some of you maybe been hit before. Maybe you've been slapped before. But over and over and over again, to have all these things uh, happen repeatedly is beyond painful. I mean, how long did this last? I mean, as you read it, it took us, what, 10 seconds to read what happened, right? How long did it last? Did you see what that last verse said? It said when they finally got tired of hitting him. It's like, it's like these, these brutal Roman soldiers were like, my arm is sore, I can't hit him anymore, I'm done. 
How about you? I've got a few more punches. Go ahead, man. And they, they continued until they were all worn out. That's how bad it was. And I think about that. It didn't matter how bloody Jesus was. It didn't matter if he was groaning or moaning. or, or They just kept going. The love of God, church, is so strong for you. So strong that he went through hours of torture and beatings and pain for you. That's how much he loves you. Let that sink in about the love of God. We know Jesus endured a, a great deal in those final 24 hours before his death, but when he was on the cross, it had to be intensified, the pain. And you, you wonder, you sort of sit there and think, okay, it's one thing to go through everything he went, but now this, was he sort of like, well, what's one more thing? He loved us so much, he was willing then to be shamed on the cross. Why shamed? On the cross, he would have been stripped of his clothing, possibly at that time experiencing that shame as bystanders and critics walked by, hurling insults and yelling and screaming at him, calling him names. You know, it's, it's one thing to be knocked down, but it's another thing to be kicked once you're knocked down. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't compare and it's, it's hard for me to even make a comparison to this moment. But maybe, for me, I can only think back to maybe when I was coaching a baseball game or a football game or basketball game, and, and my team is getting beat bad. And, and the other team just keeps piling it on. It's a moment when they should put their subs in. Oh, no, they leave their starters in. And they just sort of, you know, sort of step down a little bit harder. And it's like, okay, can you not tell? We are no match for you. We're, we're getting creamed. Please let up. You know, and that's the only thing I can think of any moment. And it's, it's like, but that doesn't even compare, does it? But that's the love of God for you. That he will go through that and so much more. In trying to understand what Jesus did for me on the cross, I've been told, well, consider yourself being in court. God is the judge. I'm on trial. And I am guilty. And now I need to pay a penalty. And Jesus steps in and says, I will take the penalty for you. And what is that penalty? Oh, you're going to be put on the cross. What that cross was meant for me, meant for you. Jesus says, I'll do it. That's how I've been told to maybe understand. But then we, we look at the cross and sometimes we just sort of like, yeah, it was, it was a torture tool by the Roman soldiers. But the pain on the cross was excruciating. I want to read an account to you. This is from a medical doctor trying to describe the physical suffering of the crucifixion. He said this, The legionnaire drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. With both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees moderately flexed. Excruciating pain shoots through along the fingers and up the arms. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves. And as he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he places his full feet on the nail through his feet. Again, there's the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatorsal bones of his feet. At this point... As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps 
come the inability to push himself upward. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but air cannot be exhaled. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs, in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. He's able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in some life-giving oxygen. But it was undoubtedly that during those periods, he uttered those seven short sentences that we read in Scripture. When I read that, I just thought the horror of, of what took place was so cruel. What, what we deserved, that pain he took for you and I. Do you see the love of God for you? Do you hear the love of God for you? That's love. And church, you are loved by the God of this universe. That's the kind of love that's, that's poured out on to you. It was love that nailed Jesus to the cross. This powerful love never stopped. Never stopped. Even when it had a right to stop. He, he did all that. He expressed love so that we could be saved. You see, church, not only are you loved, you're saved. And that's great news. You know, we talk about being good news. That's great news. Like, well, how... How does it save us? Well, let's get to that moment when it all took place. In your Bibles, you're in the book of Matthew. Go to Mark and then Luke, the next two books over, the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. And this is the account we love reading on Easter Sunday. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. And the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered what he had said when he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, and they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up, and he ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in, and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again and wondered, what happened? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. He's alive. Our Savior is alive. That's what happened. And because he is alive, we are now saved from sin and death. Because he is alive, we don't have to face eternity in hell and darkness. Because he is alive, we can be in the presence of God in heaven. Because he is alive, there are things here on earth that we can be saved from today. Things that we struggle with. 
We are saved from daily doubts and erosive emotions. We are saved from sorrow and, and sadness. Because he is alive, we are saved from earthly struggles because we have an eternal hope. I want to go through a few of the biblical characters and historical figures here that what were they saved from when this, all this happened? Let's begin with Mary. We, we look at Mary and she was saved from sorrow. You can find this in John chapter 20. And you think about this, she felt like she lost. I don't know about you, but I don't like to feel lost. I like to win. I don't think there's anybody sitting out here today like, I like to lose. I don't think so, okay? I think we all like to win. We, whatever it is in life, whether it's a sport, whether it's competition in something, whether it's something at home, whether it's at work, you just, you want to be victorious, right? Nobody wants to lose. Because when we lose, there's that emotion of loss. There's, there's anger. There's probably some pain. There's probably some sorrow. Don't like loss. But here's the thing. There's a lot of times in my life, it's like, well, we lost the game and I get really mad and frustrated, right? But when I take up my eyes off myself, I realize the world is filled with a lot of loss, a lot of pain, thanks to war, evil, sickness. And here's the thing, I'll go to a funeral and, I, and I'll, I'll, whether I'm, a, I'm officiating a funeral or I'm there visiting the loved one or somebody that I love passed away, my, my ball game that I lost, there's nothing compared to this loss. Things get put, put in perspective, don't they, when somebody passes away? All of a sudden it's like, well, I was so upset about that game we lost the other day. And it's like, that's nothing compared to other things that we lose in life. Is there hope in times of sorrow? Absolutely. And, and I love reading how Jesus appeared to Mary. She went to the tomb to continue her mourning. She's like, I'm just going to keep crying. I'm just going to keep wallowing in my sorrow. And she shows up at the tomb and she finds out she's been saved from sorrow. She was the first to receive the news that Jesus is alive. She was the first to receive the news that we have an eternal hope now. Next character would be Peter. I think of what he went through and, and how he had to be so ashamed of what his actions were. A best friend never abandons you, right? A best friend sticks by your side forever, right? But unfortunately, Peter denied Jesus three times. And boy, was he ashamed. He felt so bad in his, in his weakness. He knew he disappointed Jesus. He knew it. He was deeply hurt. He was full of shame. He went away weeping bitterly because of what he did. He knew he denied his best friend. In John chapter 21, though, Jesus comes after the resurrection back to Peter and sort of reinstates him. He says, I'm saving you from shame, Peter. See, we all blow it at times when it comes to showing our loyalty to Jesus. We, we do. We, we mess up. Maybe we go to church on Sunday and we act all godly, but the rest of the week we act all worldly and we sort of deny that we have a faith. And, and then we show up on Sunday and we feel a little shameful for how we acted that week. Jesus says, I want to save you from that shame. If you've been denying Jesus in public and you feel that shame, let him save you today. How about Thomas? Thomas, we discovered, was saved from doubt. John chapter 20, you can read about him. And I think about this. Who do we trust today? I mean, 
if I want the news, what news resource do I go to and 100% trust? We all have our opinions, right? But then you turn on another news source and they're saying something a little bit different. They're, They're saying something over here a little bit different. And I heard this on social media. What is true? And I don't know if God's just trying to wake us up and say, you know what? You're not going to get truth from mankind. You'll get truth from me. So start here. And everything else that's going on, you may not be able to trust it, but you can trust me. And, and for Thomas, you know, I was thinking about this. He refused to believe truth that Jesus resurrected from the dead. He thought, you know, people talked about, oh, He's, he's alive. No, he's not. No, he's not. Thomas, why are you saying no, he's not? I, I don't know. I just doubt it. Thomas, you walked with Jesus three years. Thomas, you saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Thomas, you saw him raise a little girl from the dead. Thomas, Jesus raised himself from the dead. I'm not sure. Not sure. He harbored doubt. And then Jesus met Thomas in his doubting moment. And he saved him from that doubting heart church, it's okay to have doubts. Just make sure you ask Jesus to show you that he is worth trusting 100%. Who else? Let's talk about Lazarus. Now, here's the thing about Lazarus. He, we discover he's saved from death. When's the last time you visited a cemetery? For some of you, it might have been this morning. For some of you, it might have been a year ago. Some people, it's like, I don't like going to cemeteries. It's not, it's not a popular hangout spot, right? Because that means you miss somebody. You lost someone. And no one wants to feel that pain. No one. Jesus lost somebody really close to him, really close, Lazarus. He was a good friend, and it hurt him. And he wept. He wept so hard, I said it was just like a snorting of a horse that he wept so hard. It wasn't a trickle-down tear. Jesus conquered death. He shows us the power to conquer death by raising Lazarus back to life. And then Jesus does it with himself, brings himself back to life. So the next time you drive by a cemetery, praise God. Praise God. Why? Why should I praise God? Because he has the power to save us from eternal death. And he gives us eternal life. Then there was two disciples. They were saved from defeat. The resurrection took place. They heard about it. They didn't believe it. They just decided to leave town. I'm out of here. I, I'm not going to hang around. Our team lost. I don't want to be a part of it. Don't want to watch. Right? I can't count the number of times I have turned off the TV because my team's losing and I'm going to the basement. I'm going outside. Don't want to watch my team lose. I've already assessed the situation. There's no Cinderella comeback moments going to happen. No, they're, they're going to lose. It's just, it's just going to happen. And I really don't want to sit here and defeat and watch my team be defeated. So I'm out of here, right? That's what these guys did. These disciples were like, Jesus died, game over. It's done. They left town. Jesus met them as they were walking out of town. They were wrong. He showed up, walked with them. They listened. All of a sudden, their, their hearts were burning. And like, it's Jesus. I knew it was Jesus all along. 
And they turned around and they headed back to meet all the other disciples. Church, we are saved. I told you we're loved. But we are saved by a Savior that is alive today. So live. Live with hope. Live with joy in your heart. Live being loved. Live a new life. Live victoriously. Live sharing all this with everyone else. What a perfect day to share this good news. Because some of you will probably have family get-togethers or you're going to see some other friends maybe today. Why not keep sharing this good news? It's a natural thing to do on Easter. This past week, I worked with a lot of different teams. And it's like, hey, I know I'm in a public school setting. And I know I'm working with a team, but you know what? It's Holy Week. So I got to make sure I tell you guys a little bit about my Jesus. It's natural, right? John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But have you ever read 1 John 3, 16? Sounds very close to John 3, 16. 1 John 3, 16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And then we read, because Jesus gave up his life for us out of love. Look at that last part. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Church, he loves us. Now we're to love others. He saved us. I can't save others, but I can tell you about the one who can. And we can tell people about the one who saves us. We are loved and saved, so let's live like people who are loved and saved. I was reading another story about somebody, they, they lost their pet. I don't know if you've ever seen before, you drive through certain places, neighborhoods, or towns, and you might see up on a, on a, a utility pole somewhere, or on a wall, somebody lost a pet, they post it. And, um, and I was reading what he said. He said, when I first noticed these signs, I felt a tinge of sympathy. But nothing seemed to happen. Seasons change. Pictures grew faded because of the weather. Yet many of the signs are still up today. And I can't help but wonder, is anyone actually looking for these animals? Do they expect me to do all the work in looking for their animal? Or did the owner just put the signs up and hope that their pets would read the signs and realize... I'm lost. I better go home. Well, that's not the way God does it. See, the shepherd, he doesn't just put up a sign and says, hey, I lost one. Hanging out with my 99. Let me know if you see the one that's lost. God does it differently, doesn't he? He goes after the one that is lost. And he calls all of us as believers in Jesus Christ to be reminded we were once lost. Now we've been saved. We have been found. And now it's our incredible, not just responsibility, but opportunity to go out now and find those who are lost and share with them that they are loved by an incredible God, that they are saved by an incredible God. That's our Savior. Because He is alive. You and I, are alive. And we have been made new. We have a new relationship with this God of the universe, and we need to live differently. And we can because he resides in us. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Now, as I look at my watch, and some of you are looking at your watch, and you're going, what's 
going on. Is he finishing early? Just to prove to you that the resurrection happened, that it was a miracle, my sermon's going to be shorter. That's a miracle. <laughs> Miracles never stop happening. Church, we can, uh, we can love God and others because of his forgiveness, because of his grace. He gives us what we do not deserve, and he forgives us. He changes us. You know, there was a, a young lady, her name was Melissa. She worked in this hospital wing, and the, the name of the hospital wing she worked in was Olawine. And she didn't realize, you know, okay, this is named after somebody that gave a lot of money to the hospital. Before she was a nurse and she was going through nursing school, she worked at a restaurant. And while she was at this restaurant, she was waitressing, and, and one day a gentleman sort of called over the table and she was serving. And he started asking questions about, you know, young lady, what are you doing with your life? Going to nursing school. And more of the story got shared back and forth. And he's super kind to this young lady. And, and she shared her story, you know, trying to just make it. And at the end of cleaning up the table and everything, she picked up the tip for $30,000. Yeah, that's a great tip. Helped her finish off nursing school. The gentleman that was sitting at the table, Benjamin Olwine. Years later, when she's working in this hospital, in the Olawine part of the hospital, she realized that part of the hospital was named after the man that gave her a tip. She said this. She goes, I think the most important part of the story is that he helped me so that I could help everyone. That's what a nurse does, right? He helped me. And I just want to help everyone. Jesus pray, paid the price because we couldn't. So we can walk in freedom today. That freedom compels us to show grace and love to everyone. He's helped us so that we can help everyone else. Amen? Would you stand, please? Church, He is risen. And because he is risen, we know that his words are true and powerful. You are loved. You are saved. Let us share that with this world. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity to, to sing to you, to pray to you, to open up your word. I thank you that you have saved us from sorrow, from death, from defeat. Lord, you've saved us in so many ways. It isn't just that you saved us from sin and death, but the things going on in our life right now. We don't have to live in defeat. We can live victoriously because you're living in us. Heavenly Father, there may be somebody here this morning that's maybe never prayed and, and, and asked you to forgive them. This morning would be a great time where we're standing right now, just to simply and humbly say, I've messed up, God. Forgive me. Remove my sins. I place my faith in you. I trust you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Be the Savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you. Come into my life, Lord. I surrender. 
God, that would be an incredible prayer that many of us in here maybe already prayed, but maybe somebody else needed to pray that this morning. You are a God who loves us. You are a God who saves us. You've forgiven us when we ask for forgiveness. And now you reside in us to help us live for you. Help us to live victoriously. In thy name we pray, amen.